doctors don't have a clear understanding of it. It started opening up my mind to like, how does the human body work? This is a real thing that really affects people. This is a major pain. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Elias about their trio of major pains, ankylosing spondylitis, Crohn's disease, and fibromyalgia. Even just calling their situation a trio is a bit of an oversimplification, because like many of us with chronic pain, Elias is also managing depression and anxiety. For those unfamiliar with ankylosing spondylitis, it's an inflammatory condition that features a cycle of inflammation, calcification, scarring, and bone formation, causing pain and stiffness. These effects are cumulative and can lead to spinal joint fusion. According to arthritishealth.com, this condition most commonly affects the joints in the spine, although some patients experience symptoms outside of the spine, including chronic inflammation of the heart and eyes, reduced lung capacity due to poor chest movement and scarring. This disease is genetic and is most often found in people with the HLA-B27 gene. However, it is possible to have that gene and not develop the disease. And I read on the Mayo Clinic website that it's also possible to have the disease without having that gene. So as with most things we talk about on this show, this thing is hard to diagnose. As I mentioned, our guest today, Elias, not only has chronic pain from ankylosing spondylitis, but also from fibromyalgia and from Crohn's disease, a form of inflammatory bowel. Their perspective is fascinating and unique, and there's so many little tidbits of wisdom and learned experience in this episode that I'm very excited to share. I'll warn you that we had a little bit of connectivity trouble, so there are some moments where it gets a little hard to hear what Elias is saying. And I had to trim out some moments where it was actually impossible to hear what they were saying. I definitely think that this is listenable and very worth listening to. Uh, it was really important to me to still release this episode and do everything I could to make sure it was as audible as possible. So I, I believe it's in good shape and that you will absolutely enjoy this episode. But I will warn you that every once in a while, Elias's audio will dip a little bit low and it can be a little hard to catch a few words here and there. So please excuse any moments where the audio is a little less than ideal and I hope you will stick around and listen to Elias's story on the episode today. I'm a little low on spoons today, so I'm going to keep this intro nice and quick. I just have to say special thank you to Chris Fowler and Steve Cavanaugh, our Patreon producers. Thank you so much for helping to make this show possible. Someone asked me this week if our producers have any responsibilities, and the answer is no, they do not. <laughs> the title of Patreon producer is uh, just based off of signing up on Patreon to support the show at our highest tier of $25 per month. Uh, in, my, in my mind, that makes you a producer, a financial producer of this show, because that's a hefty contribution that is very greatly appreciated. Uh, and that's why I chose that word to thank those people each week. Last week, I mentioned that I am toying with the idea of creating some bonus content for all levels of Patreon support, starting at $2 per month. And I asked for questions that people would like answered from either myself or from Andy in the bonus episode. And we got a great question from Sonny, 
who asked which episodes have impacted me, Andy, and even some of our guests the most so far. And I love this question. And that question alone is enough for Andy and I to talk for a minute. So um, we're definitely doing a bonus episode at the end of this month. It will come out at the beginning of November. It will at least feature an answer to that question. And we got plenty of time for more questions to come in. So if you are a listener who is supporting us on Patreon, or if you are someone who wants to sign up to be able to hear and take part in this first bonus episode, head over to patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast. You will find a post called Submit Your Questions, and you can submit your questions on that post. There you go. That post is only visible once you have signed up on Patreon. If you have not signed up, you will not be able to see it. But this bonus episode, as I said, will be available to people at all tiers. And if this first one goes well and is doable for me to add something into my uh, content creation routine, then we will add it in as a monthly perk for all patrons moving forward. So I still want to try this one out before committing to that, but I'm feeling really good about it so far. And as always, the support of everyone who is currently supporting this show on Patreon is so appreciated. Thank you. And with that, we're going to jump right into our discussion with Elias about their major pains, including ankylosing spondylitis, fibromyalgia, and Crohn's disease. Elias, welcome to the podcast. Hi. I'm really excited to talk to you today. You're someone else I've connected with with through TikTok, which has yes. just been, so TikTok's been great for this podcast, I just have to say. <laughs> it's been amazing for me too, honestly. Yeah, it's such a fun platform. Uh, but I'm really excited to, to talk to you today and to, to get to know you a little bit. So we're both feeling a little rough today. You're on a migraine hangover and I'm a little twitchy and stuttery today, but we're going we're gonna to make it work. <laughs> plan. Yeah. So Elias, why don't you tell, tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, so I am a, uh, Pacific Northwest native born and raised, um, my family, I have two teenagers, my 19 year old son, uh, lives with his dad and my 17 year old daughter lives with me. Um, I am part of a service dog team. Um, she's actually hanging out with me today cause you know, low days, she has to like watch me real close. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm also part of the LGBTQIA community, um, and I think that's about it. Like, I'm I'm uh, I'm professionally disabled, so mm. I don't work outside of the home, but I do uh, crochet items for friends, donation, sale. Doesn't really matter. How, I just it keeps my hands busy, so I'm not always going crazy sitting in my room going ah. <laughs> yeah, so important. And we've talked about this on the show before, but the crafts with, with your hands and like building something, creating something is always so therapeutic. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like I can put my love into a craft that allows me to still participate in society without being able to necessarily always go outside of the house. So absolutely. Tell me a little bit more about your service dog. I love the phrasing. I'm part of a service dog team. Because your dog is your partner in that scenario. I love that. She definitely is. Um, we actually, uh, before my uh, divorce from my ex, yeah, we um, we found her in the forest while we were camping. Wow. Um, she was probably three to five months old when we found her. Um, someone had either lost her up there or taken her and dumped her. Um, so we brought her home. 
and um, she was more like a normal puppy for the first two years of her life. And then we lost our older dog. He was almost 16. Um, and when we lost him and my son told me at about at that time, he was about, I don't know, 11 or 12 that he thought that our older dog told her, told her my service dog that she now needed to take care of us. Mm. And he just slipped right into that role and started kind of teaching herself. Um, wow. And once I saw that she was learning on her own, how to take care of us, I started teaching her the commands myself. Um, now she pretty much goes everywhere with me. Um, she, I mean, she sleeps with me. She, uh, doesn't really let me go to the bathroom by myself even like she'll come in and sit with me. Um, when I take showers, she's always in there. Um, one of her tasks is actually to help me dry my legs. She'll lick them off to get them dry. <laughs> I have to bend over and cause that has a tendency to make me pass out. Uh, yeah. So Molly is my other half. Um, her full name is Molly Wobbles. Uh, <laughs> and she and my daughter partner together to be my care team. Um, uh, so that makes it so I can leave the house and get out in public uh, to be able to have both of them with me. Yeah, that's awesome. It's so important to have support. And I, you know, my, my dog passed away earlier this year, my 17 oh, no. year old. Yeah. I had him a long life. He was a, you know, he was my other half. And the further I get from him not being around, the more I'm like, where is he? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I it's can so, feel that. Oh, it's so hard to, to not have him around anymore. Oh, I love dogs so much. Someday I'll get yeah. another dog, but I need, I need a little time where I'm just worrying about myself right now. Cause you know, I feel that yep. yeah. Mm -hmm. taking care of a, of another creature is, is a big responsibility for sure. Right. And taking care of ourselves is hard enough. <laughs> oh God, you're not kidding. Some days, uh, I'm not sure how I'm going to make it through. So, yeah, well, I'm excited to, to hear about what you're experiencing and I'm excited to, you know, to dig into this a little bit. So Elias, what is your major pain? So I have a couple. Um, I was diagnosed with uh, ankylosing spondylitis at the age of 25. I probably have had it since I was like 12. However, um, it is genetic. Um, basically what it is, is that um, the nerves in my body are calcifying. Um, it starts often in the back and uh, legs. Um, usually ends up co covering the whole body. Um, and then shortly after I was diagnosed with that, I got into the first of two major car accidents. Wow. Um, rear end accidents uh, was the first one. Um, and I ended up with um, three herniated discs um, and then didn't know it, though, however. So I started to skate roller derby. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it was in a second car accident. After skating roller derby, I had to have my first back surgery. Yeah, and then after that, I got diagnosed with fibromyalgia and Crohn's disease. Oh, wow. um, so <laughs> I get threefold. Um, fibromyalgia is a widespread nerve overreaction. A lot of people say, including doctors, which is really annoying, that that means that the pain is all in our heads. However, it, it is also our nerves overreacting to stimuli. So even just like a touch on the shoulder can cause pain. Yeah, uh, because the nerves in our body is are saying, "Excuse you, that hurts." <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Crohn's disease, not well, not always painful for a lot of people. It is, um, and unfortunately for me, it means that my entire intestinal system decides to be painful 
uh, pretty frequently, actually. Um, so I, uh, <laughs> I get it all around my whole body, unfortunately. Um, the, I went from being able to skate roller derby and run around after my kids when they were little to now needing uh, forearm crutches and or a wheelchair to be able to get around uh, my personal world. Um, I started out with pet dogs and am now part of a service dog team. So um, unfortunately, I will eventually have to retire the service dog I have. So we'll probably invest in another one uh, when that happens. Um, she's currently seven, so she's got a few years left. But um, generally, it you don't want them to work past their, what they're comfortable working. And she'll just retire to being a pet, uh, a much pampered pet, <laughs> but a pet nonetheless. So let's, let's back up and I want to talk through all, all of these conditions because you have, it sounds like a trifecta of major pains going on. Um, mm -hmm. The first one, can you tell me the name again? I, I, ankylosing spond spondylitis? Yep, that's it. Was that it? Oh, wow. I don't know how I did that. Good job. Okay. <laughs> so um, that's a, a calcification of the nerves? Yes, and it also can cause brittle bones. Um, which means that we can break bones a lot more easily. My mom's broken one of her legs multiple times uh, in the last few years, and she also has AS. Um, it is genetic and hereditary, so unfortunately, uh, I probably passed it on to my children. Mm. Um, but it's also trauma-induced, which means if you can go your whole life without having any major trauma to your body, you will only be a carrier. Oh, wow. <laughs> Interesting. Um, Unfortunately, both of my children have already had major trauma. My son had a stroke before he was born. Wow. Uh, so he has cerebral palsy and probably activated his AS at that point. And my daughter has been in a car accident. So she probably activated hers at that point as well. Um, wow. So the hope is we can keep them healthy enough that they don't end up having too many problems. Um, but so far, they're great. <laughs> they're young, though. So. <laughs> Yeah. And how old did you say you were when you were diagnosed with this? I was 25. And how, how has that affected your, your body since then? Um, so what, is, what does that feel like to have nerves calcify? Uh, it's, it's like being on fire every moment of every day, as well as feeling like you've been hit by a train when you first wake up and sometimes for, for some people you can feel better as you get up and move around. Unfortunately, that doesn't work for me as much because of the fibromyalgia. Mm. Um, <laughs> so I try to get up and move around for the AS and then my fiber picks in and it's like, Oh, Nope, not today. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. That's so tough. I mean, a, a, a lot of chronic pain conditions can be helped by movement, but oftentimes movement exacerbates the chronic pain. So it's like, well, exactly. what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I do take uh, pain medication at night to sleep um, and help off the pain down to a tolerable level so I can crash. Yeah. Um, they do say that chronic pain sufferers learn to mask because we can't roll around in agony on the floor all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think a lot of us like when we go to the hospitals, when we go to the health treatment centers and we're like, Hey, we're in a lot of freaking pain. Can you please give me something for it? And the doctors are like, Oh no, you look fine. Well, don't go off my face, go off my blood pressure, go off of, you know, how much yeah. sleep I've been getting. Um, those kinds of things, because you can't go off of how I look because I can't make my entire family feel terrible for me every minute of every day. That just doesn't work. 
Totally. This is, it's such a frustrating thing. It's like, so we know scientifically that a lot of these illnesses are invisible and yet Mm -hmm. doctors refuse to acknowledge them when they're brought up as being invisible. You know, like that's like, you know, it's this catch 22. It's like, they just automatically assume that you're seeking opiates when you are asking Mm -hmm. for pain medication, but it's just that you're in pain and you go to them for help and you get punished for it all the time. Well, and especially being a female bodied person, Hmm. I do feel like doctors have a tendency to listen to those of us that are uh, female bodied because I don't identify as a woman necessarily. I'm I'm Mm non-binary, so um, but I look very feminine in the way that I present because of the fact that I also have a very large chest (laughs) um (laughs) unfortunately i get to carry these suckers around every day um but they don't listen to us as much i do find uh talking to people who identify as male um who also have chronic pain they have a little bit of an easier time and i don't want to say it's easy because it's not easy to get pain meds but it's easier to get men before men to be um understood by doctors i feel like than it is for female-bodied humans um to be understood um, thankfully my primary care physician is a really good guy. He, um, is really into East, like he's Japanese. So he trained in Eastern medicine as well as Western. Um, he's a licensed acupuncturist, uh, and he sent me to a pain specialist recently who has, um, history of working with ankylosing spondylitis patients, but also female ankylosing spondylitis patients. Mm. So uh, my new my new pain specialist is amazing. <laughs> he listens to me when I talk. He's like, you have to be in a lot of pain. Um, in fact, one of my last appointments, he's like, oh, you don't look good today. You must be in excruciating amounts of pain. We're going to up your pain meds. Wow. I didn't even have to ask him. Um, so <laughs> that so was glad. lovely. Yeah. That's so important uh, to have a doctor that listens to you. And if you're in pain and you're seeking medication for that, you know, if... <laughs> Like if you ha- if you have if you have a cold or if you have a bacterial infection and you're seeking, um, you know, antibiotics, like isn't that technically drug seeking behavior? Like isn't it the right. same exact thing? Yeah. It's like why are we stigmatizing people who are in pain versus people who have a bacterial infection? And I think a lot mm-hmm. of it comes down to this uh, this whole thing about it being invisible and yes. doctors being unwilling to um, treat something that they can't see, even though they can learn about and read about the fact that these things exist. Mm-hmm. So it's, I don't know, it's just so frustrating. What, what well, sort and, of medication, or sorry, go ahead. Yeah, if you have a response to that. It's, it's not just doctors either, because um, mm. I use a uh, disabled parking permit when I go out places. Yeah. Um, I still drive because my daughter doesn't have her license yet. We're working on that process. Um, but she usually gets my wheelchair out for me. So I cannot tell you the number of people who have given me the e- evil eye because I get out of my car and I kind of like use my car to get to the back so I can yep. get into my seat. Yep. Me chair. too. Me too. <laughs> but you know, the people that give you the evil eye and they're like, why are you parking there? You look so young. You look so able bodied, like what the heck? And then they see you get in a chair and they're like, Oh, you must just be using, you know, overusing your privilege or mm. whatever. And it's like, no, I would love to just get up and run into that store like a normal human. Yeah. But unfortunately I get to get up and roll into that store, which is lovely because I can go very fast if I want to, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, it also means that I'm, you know, staring at everybody's butts and crotches all day. Long <laughs> <too>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
not a very pleasant view, let me tell you. I was just <laughs> telling Andy like yesterday, I'm like, you know, I'm I'm at your butt level all the time. I'm just gets to stare at your butt all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine if it's someone that you care about and you're like attracted to, but when you're in a grocery store and you're seeing everybody at that level, you're just like, oh God, can you not adjust yourself right in front of my face? That's okay. uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, I mean, what you're saying about getting out, out of the car and using the car to like hold yourself up to get to your chair. I do that too. Like where I, I will stand up out of the car and like walk to the back of the car and then sit down in a wheelchair and I get looks for that too. And yeah. I just, I, it's what I have to do, you know, like it's, I, I, I take pride in the fact that I can get my own wheelchair out of the back of the car and I, because I, I don't want to force my partner to do it mm -hmm. for me all the time. If I needed to, she would, you know, but I don't need to because I'm able to do that. So I do it for myself. And I think that for a lot of people with um, any challenges with their ability, what they can do for themselves becomes more important than it used to be. So it's important yes. to me to do this myself. And even though I get a lot of weird looks for it, but you know, if anyone's looking close enough, they'll see that like my body is shaking as I'm walking and I'm having a hard time holding myself up. So uh -huh. it should be obvious why I need the wheelchair. But, you know, a lot of people have it this mistaken thing in their head that if someone um, can walk at all, then they are be then they don't need a wheelchair that like they're being yeah. lazy or they're, you know, being manipulative or something, which is ridiculous. Like so many people use wheelchairs that can walk a little bit but can't walk mm -hmm. far because if you can if you can only walk a little bit you're gonna get stuck somewhere and you won't be able to get out like i would get exactly. stuck in the grocery store and no yeah I, i've been stuck on the side of the road before when my leg stops working and i have to mm -hmm. call someone to come pick me up so now i use a wheelchair when i go out of the house because i i will never get stuck in a wheelchair because worst case scenario someone can just roll me around you know exactly especially if you're with someone or even if someone yeah. comes by on the sidewalk you can be like hey I live two blocks that way. Can you just help me get to my house? Totally. And get me home. I don't generally go out without someone else with me. Um, if my daughter's not available, because she does um, take time off during the week. Uh, my son will go with me. I have friends that will come and get me and take me places um, when she can't go with me. Um, even my ex has been known to help out here and there. Um, we live right next door to each other and oh, yeah. actually our backyards butt up to each other. So oh, there's cool. a gate so the kids can go back and forth. That's awesome. I love that. What a, what a great <laughs> He's scenario. He's still actually my biggest support system. Um, wow. Honestly, like uh, he, I had gallbladder surgery back in July and he um, was, was telling me, oh yeah, I'll come get you from the hospital if you can't get anyone else to pick you up, but I can't get until after work fortunately i was able to find someone to get me home earlier but um you know he was like oh do you need anything from the store and those kinds of things um which is really lovely that we're able to work out that much but yeah society tells us that there are these like social norms that like if you get a divorce you're supposed to hate the other person which is ridiculous mm -hmm. you know like i've always been a fan of like being friends with my exes wherever possible and mm -hmm. um you know, just because society says something is normal does not mean that it's right for everyone. And in fact, it's very yeah. often wrong for a lot of people. <laughs> well, I mean, we were best friends. We met when we were 12, um, started dating when we were 13. So <laughs> we were like wow. best friends before we, before we got together. Um, so, it, I mean, it stands to reason we would try to maintain at least a friendly uh, interaction yeah. once we weren't together anymore. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I... I don't hate him. I understand sort of where he's coming from. So it's not a like hate, hate relationship. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think continuing to be supportive to each other is really important. Yeah. I love uh, that. Especially for the kids, because we do have two children together and I don't want them to be like, Oh, mom hates dad or dad hates mom. So I can't talk about. <laughs> yeah. I think that's awesome. I think that's, you know, in that scenario, that sounds like an ideal um, way to handle the situation. I, I love that. I think that's so cool. So tell me a little bit about the medications that you take for the ankylosing spondylitis. Um, so I'm on gabapentin. I take uh, one in the morning and two at night. Um, I take, um, well, my medications are kind of mixed because I take duloxetine, which is for depression, but it's also been shown to help with fibromyalgia pain. Yeah, yeah, um, I've taken that before. Yeah, it's like yeah, an it, antidepressant that can help with um, chronic pain. There's actually, I'm actually trying a, a new medication myself, uh, amitriptyline, that is an antidepressant that can help with nerve pain. So there's quite, a, took, quite a few of those, actually. Yeah, I tried the amitriptyline, and it made me too dizzy. Yeah, that's the problem I have with the duloxetine. <laughs> <laughs> The duloxetine, thankfully enough, does not make me dizzy. The gabapentin, however, can make me dizzy if I don't eat first. Hmm. Um, I also take uh, hydrocodone and tizanidine at night. So tizanidine is a muscle relaxer, um, and it's specially formulated to help with fibromyalgia pain. It's a nerve pain help as well hmm. as a muscle relaxer. Um, and then I'm trying to think. I think that's all that I take that are pain reducers because the other ones i take are for GERD. Um, yeah what's what's the long-term uh prognosis for for as does that is it degenerative it's degenerative time? okay yeah it'll it'll get worse as i get older um and i mean they say fibro's not degenerative as well but i've found that mine has been getting worse as i've been getting older as well hmm. um so i don't know if that's mixed with the as or if it's just because that's how my body is. Um, but yeah, the AS is getting worse. Um, yeah, that's so hard. How do you, how do you process that mentally? I do see a therapist every week. Um, she had me start um, seeing, or not seeing, but work, working with some online support groups for fibromyalgia people or patients, but also um, AS patients. So that, um, cause she's not specialized in pain relief. Um, she could do some, but, uh, working with people who have the same diseases as I do is, is beneficial. Being able to hear that I'm not alone yeah. is really lovely. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, you know, we'll say, oh, Hey, this happened to me this week. And it's like, oh, that's from, you know, the AS or the fibro, wow, I thought it was from, you know, me just being weird or whatever. And it, it gives us a little bit of like a, a touchstone to be able to say, you know, um, hey, I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah. Um, unfortunately, the people I live with probably get the brunt of it. It gets very frustrating when you wake up and you've lost another skill. Hmm. Um, I no longer am able to shower alone. Like I can't shower if there's no one in the house except for the dogs. Um, I have to have a human home with me because I have a tendency to fall while I'm showering, even using a shower chair. I have a tendency to fall. Um, but that's new. That's in the last like year or two. I used to be able to shower alone with no one home. Um, and it's just not safe anymore. Yeah. Um, I can't really clean my own room. 
So unfortunately, my daughter has to come help me. The only household chore that I'm physically capable of doing is folding laundry. So I'm ripping onto that very tightly. I'm like, I'm not giving this up. Even if it takes me three weeks, I'm folding the freaking laundry. <laughs> yeah. No one else is allowed to fold that laundry. <laughs> exactly. Um, I can't even get my own chair out of my car because I'm not allowed to lift more than five pounds. Hmm. Uh, and my chair is 35 pounds. So yeah. it's 30, 30 pounds over my limit. I'm not even technically supposed to pick up my dog. I do because I'm a rule breaker because she's 20 pounds. <laughs> this last week, she had some dental work. Um, and she couldn't jump for 24 hours after the dental work because she was just too woozy from anesthesia. Hmm. Uh, so my daughter had to pick her up and put her on my bed. And then she wasn't supposed to jump down either. So she had to come and get her and take her off the bed just so that I wouldn't end up hurting myself. Because Molly likes to get up and down 25 times a night. <laughs> <laughs> um, especially if something's going on out in the main room, she wants to go see what's happening. Uh, so that was a little frustrating. And, you know, that was another skill that I'm losing that I just can't. And, you know, there are days where I lay in bed and cry. I will admit that. Um, yeah, it definitely is not easy all the time, but I do try to stay as positive as possible. Um, yeah. That, and that's so, it's so important. And it sounds so, you know, it sounds so trite to just be like, oh, I'm just got to stay positive. But like, the the other option is to stay negative all the time and it's exactly that's it, it, it that sucks you know <laughs> yeah and it's not fair to my kids it's not fair to my roommate um my roommate is a friend of mine from uh quite a few years ago um and she's older than i am but you know we get along really well and i don't want them to hurt for me you know mm -hmm. as much as possible of course they're gonna like feel my pain as it were um but if I can like, no, it's okay. Yeah, I hurt real bad today, but you know, I'm gonna be fine. Um, it makes them feel a little bit better yeah. and a little less, you know, bad for me. I don't want feel people I don't want people to feel like they, you know, need to fix it. Mm, yeah. Because totally. it really can't be fixed. Right, exactly. Point. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are natural fixers. Like when they see a problem, they'll just start like giving you ideas of how to fix it. But mm -hmm. in a situation like yours, you know, you're doing it already. Like there, there's no fixing it. There's only managing it and you're doing it. So, yeah. you, you know, for anyone who feels the need to fix that, that's an itch that they can't scratch. And sometimes people get upset with other people for having something in their lives that can't be fixed. But it's like... I didn't choose this. This is just the way mm -hmm. it is. You know, I did have a situation. Um, a person that I knew since elementary school uh, found me on Facebook again, and we were talking about our lives and like getting caught up a little bit. And I was telling her, you know, kind of what had happened health wise for me in the last few years. And she was like, Oh, have you tried, you know, going sugar free? Have you tried mm. giving up gluten? Have you tried, you know, all these diet things? And I was like, yes, I've tried all of those. Um, and it made me feel marginally better, like just a little bit, but the mental health went way into the dumps. And mm. so I made a choice. Was I going to feel a little bit better uh, physically, but terrible emotionally, or was I going to feel okay emotionally and not so okay physically? So I went right back to gluten and sugar, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I do eat it, you know, in as much of a moderation as I can 
manage. Um, I try to, you know, have a healthy diet. My daughter makes a lot of smoothies for me because one of the things that goes along with um, opiate use, but also just chronic pain in general is sometimes you're in so much pain, you are actually nauseous physically still. Yeah. So smoothies are easy for me to get down because I can drink them slowly and I get protein in while not actually being hungry and not actually eating anything. Um, I do eat a lot of, you know, vegetables when I can, I don't eat a lot of meat because it doesn't react well with crowns. So, I mean, I have a fairly healthy diet. I just chose not to leave gluten and sugar out because it didn't really benefit in the long run. So, yeah, it, everybody has these recommendations and they're all the same because they're all based off of like fad diets and, mm-hmm. you know, I, <laughs> Like have you I, tried yoga? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's another one of my favorites. Have you tried yoga and stretching? I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> have you tried physical therapy? Well, yes. I've been discharged like six times in the yeah. last five years. Yeah. And like, it's never helpful for that to be the first thing that you try to offer someone when they tell you about their chronic pain. It's never helpful yeah. to, if you have a sentence that starts with, have you tried? Just don't say it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and once you get to know me better, like if we're friends and you're just like, hey, I tried this new thing. And I do have some friends that have chronic pain as well. Um, and I have a friend who not only has chronic pain, but is also a massage therapist mm-hmm. by training. Um, and so she's given me some new techniques that she's read about in her massage magazines and stuff, which is lovely. And, but she also doesn't get angry if I don't try them Yeah. and she doesn't get angry if when I try them, they don't work, uh, where a lot of people that are like, Oh, you should try this. And then you tell them it doesn't work. They're like, Oh, well, you just didn't try it well enough. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. Like someone who knows you and knows what you've tried Mm -hmm. and someone who cares about you and loves you and, and respects you can offer suggestions absolutely but someone you barely know please don't help me (laughs) yeah totally when you like meet a stranger and you tell them about your pain and they're like oh well you should go gluten-free it's like well you should shut the hell up (laughs) yeah my sister's cousin's dog's brother tried this you know fad you should try this (laughs) yeah totally It, it happens all the time like when i first po when i first launched this show there, someone mm-hmm. in the comments uh, on Facebook started going on about this diet that I needed to try. And it's like, <laughs> you, there's no way you've actually listened to this episode. You know, you just yeah. saw this, you saw that what it was and like decided to offer suggestions. I guess I didn't have to spend, you know, the last decade looking for a diagnosis because you figured mm-hmm. me out in three seconds, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was like right after I got my wheelchair, which... By the way, wheelchairs are not cheap. I actually have one of the cheaper ones and it was $3,000. So yeah, yeah. let's, let's be real here. We're not, you know, we're not spending, you know, a hundred bucks and going out to the Walgreens and getting the ones off the shelf because you have to get one that's going to be measured specifically for your leg length exactly, or else you end up with bruising yep. and it's just, it's not good. Yeah. Uh, but when I first saw my chair, uh, I went to synagogue actually, um, and I was sitting, it was for the, the high holidays, which is actually happening right now. Right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're right in the middle of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur right now, actually. Indeed we are. Um, yeah. And someone who I only see about once a year at services for high holidays was like, oh, well, have you tried, you know, uh, swimming? And I'm like, I can swim this time. I just cannot walk for long periods. Yeah. And I can't stand for long periods. And they're like, oh, well, you should try, you know, doing this yoga thing at the Y. And I'm like. 
or I can just sit in my $3,000 wheelchair, <laughs> pull myself around and be okay with that. Like, I don't need you to fix me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it part of it reflects on the person, on their inability to accept anything that that doesn't fit within what they consider to be normal. Um, yeah. It's I, I, which drives me crazy as well. It's like people who insist on um, changing people around them to fit into their view of normal instead of accepting the people around them for who and what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, like, why do we? Why do so many people feel the need to to do that? It's so frustrating. It's ableism, pure and simple. Yeah, yeah. And you know, people don't want to hear that when you're like, "Oh, you're being really ableist right now by trying to you know change how I interact with my world." And they don't want to hear that when you say things like that to them. So I generally don't because I don't like confrontation. But um, the more I've worked with these support groups, the more I've realized that uh, even people who care about me and are very well-intentioned still are very ableist and don't understand, you know, that even just trying to help push my wheelchair without asking is very ableist. Oh my God. Yeah. I, that happened to me. And I, I talked about that on the show and on TikTok and that, that was so infuriating. It's so It upsetting. makes me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my daughter, um, we've, we have this new way of working. Um, cause I really like to push myself as long as I possibly can. But like when we go places that have the steeper, uh, ramps to get up on the sidewalks and stuff, mm-hmm. she'll get behind me and stand there just so that if I start to roll backwards, she can catch me, but I can still roll myself up. I don't have as much of a problem like one of my kids grabbing me. Um, my son doesn't grab me as often because, like I said before, he has uh, a cerebral palsy. Um, so his right side is half paralyzed, and so he can't really use his right hand as well. Um, but he will grab me occasionally if I'm going too fast. That's when he grabs me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but... You know, like my my roommate sometimes will help me move. We're actually going um, to Kelso for the Highland Games tomorrow. And she'll probably help me get around a little bit because it's not as easy out there because it's in the middle of a field. Yeah. Um, but we're going to go see our favorite band play. The Wicked Tinkers are coming to town. Oh, cool. Very exciting. They're uh, like a, a Celtic bagpipe band with a didgeridoo. And wow, <laughs> <laughs> that's quite a lineup. They're, they're so much fun. So, yeah. Um, um, I have one more question for you about ankylosing spondylitis. Before I have some questions for you about um, Crohn's and fibromyalgia as well. But okay. how how does how does one diagnosed with with this disease? Um, so there's a couple of ways. Um, one way uh, is to do x-rays and a uh, CAT scan to show bone changes because, and uh, the calcification of the nerves mm. um, will show up also uh, on those kinds of scans. Um, the other, one of the other ways is to have a blood test done. Um, and if you are positive for, I'm going to say this wrong, but I think it's the HLA B27 gene. Um, you sometimes have AS and then you can, so I had the blood test done and I came up positive and then I had x-rays and a CAT scan gotcha. um, done. And I didn't have very many changes cause I am premenopausal. Hmm. Most women don't show changes till they're postmenopausal. Um, but I had enough that they were able to say, yeah, you have AS. Also my family history played into that too. They wouldn't have done the tests if I hadn't had family history. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because, like, these are very clear scientific 
um, definitive sounding tests. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm, it sounds like you still get pushback about talking about how much pain you're in with a lot of uh, healthcare providers, which is so annoying, well, you know? <laughs> well, because, because uh, female-bodied humans don't show changes until after they're menopausal. Yeah. Um, but most of our pain really starts before we're menopausal. Mm. So, um, you know, it's very difficult to get a doctor to, to, to see a reason, quote-unquote, for your pain because there's no changes in your CAT scans and your x-rays. So why should you be in pain? You should be fine. Like, get up and stop complaining <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> uh so what were you diagnosed with next was it fibromyalgia or crohn's i was fibromyalgia that was between the two car accidents and after i'd uh, done derby um i was having a lot of pain that could be explained by the as um and actually one way that i figured out for sure that i had it and this is kind of ridiculous um my son went to the same high school that my ex and i went to and he was also in choir like i was and so i was chaperoning a choir field trip and the choir teacher came up and he was the same one that i had growing up i had him in his first years of teaching and now he's in his middle years of teaching um and he came up and he was talking to me and then he patted me on my shoulder before he walked away and i still felt like I was in pain by the time I went home, like five or six hours later, Wow! just from him patting me on the shoulder. And I was like, that's not normal. <laughs> Something's wrong with you. <laughs> um, so I went to my doctor that same week and told him what had happened. And he's like, that sounds like fibromyalgia to me, but there's no scientific test we can do to prove that you have it. Yeah, totally. That's something that's so hard with fibromyalgia. There are some now, um, cause this was about 10 years ago now. Um, but there are some now out that Ooh. I could take, but at this point I'd rather just say, I, you know, I have it and not worry about the proof at, because it's so ambiguous, even with these new tests that I'm just like, whatever I have fibro, <laughs> it's the best explanation for me. I'm just going to go with it and run with it. Cause I don't need someone to invalidate it. Any yeah. More than they have. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, fibromyalgia just means that you are in chronic pain. You know, I mm-hmm. like I was I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia at one point, and I've had several doctors tell me that I don't have it since then. And you know, because I don't know what I have, it's just like still pretty up in the air. But um, but even when I was diagnosed with it, it, it sounds my impression was that it's definitely a real thing that a lot of people do have, but it is also kind of a blanket diagnosis for. Um, anyone who's in pain and we don't know why, um, mm-hmm. just to like give you a name, which in some yeah. ways is really helpful. And in some ways is also kind of infuriating because it can prevent doctors from continuing to look for something yes. else. Is that something that you worry about that there might be another layer of something? I mean, you obviously have like at least three layers going on. Um, is it something you worry about that there's a, a layer there that could be undiagnosed? Uh, yeah, actually, for sure. I, like I said before, I had gallbladder surgery in July, um, but I was really scared because I've been probably sick with gallbladder issues for over a year. Um, and I didn't know, was this another chronic illness coming up? Was it, you know, just something I was going to have to deal with for the rest of my life? Now, the pain did not go away when I had surgery. Um, it has gotten quite a bit better, but there's still, you know, problems and issues that I know 
have to change things a little bit. Um, but I was really afraid. And also because every time I tried to talk to someone about this new pain I was having, they're like, oh, you have gastroenteritis. You, you know, have a stomach bug. You're fine. Go home. Sleep it off. Mm. <laughs> All the things that I heard in the very beginning of the diagnosis of AS and of fibro. Yeah. Um, and Crohn's actually for that matter <laughs> all three of them everybody just kept telling me oh you just have you know a virus I'm like no I do not have a virus for six months please fix it yeah yeah um, it, that's that's the common thread with everyone that I talk to is doctors saying oh it's just this or it's just that you know like when I first started going to the doctor's trying to diagnose my mystery illness they're like oh it's just probably a migraine and i finally asked the doctor i'm like do people have migraines all day every day for for six months i'm like no <laughs> i'm like well then no. this isn't a migraine so please stop <laughs> telling me that it's a migraine not usually i mean my mom um my mom has had a, a headache for 21 years consistently yeah. every day when she wakes up when she goes to sleep while she's sleeping um but she has not been able to clearly pinpoint what's causing it. Yeah. She also kind of gave up too, because she had spent so much time getting gas that yeah. um, she was like, okay, enough of this. And she just deals with her headache every day, but she describes it like a migraine. And I'm just like, mom, I have migraines. I cannot get out of bed when I have a migraine. I don't know how you stand crap up. Like, I don't know how you're like upright in front of me right now. <laughs> yeah. I, so. I also have a headache all day, every day. And I have for over a decade at this point. And you know what? I was like, because one of my doctors started me on amitriptyline last week. Mm -hmm. So I looked up that medication to see what, you know, how, how it could work with nerve pain. And one of the first things that I saw when I researched this was um, something called trigeminal neuralgia. I'm like, what's that? Mm -hmm. I've never heard of that. So I clicked on it and it is a, there's two forms. One of them is called atypical trigeminal neuralgia. And it is a constant dull ache on the on like one side of your head, right where uh -huh. I have my pain that I've had my pain for over a decade. And I was just huh. like, what the actual, like what the actual fuck, if you'll excuse me. Uh, <laughs> I try not to curse on this show. I, I curse all the time in my other content, but I try not to curse on this show. Um, yeah, I'm a sailor. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, you know, anyway, so I'm just like, what, why have I never heard of this before? I've been going to the doctors complaining of pain in this exact spot for over a decade and no one has ever brought up this condition that is a chronic nerve pain in that exact spot that like yeah. the way it's described, it feels exactly like what I have. And, you know, trigeminal neuralgia has nothing to do with like uh, body issues or all the other stuff that I've got going on, but it can be a symptom of another disorder. Like, um, yeah. you know, I don't have MS to my knowledge, but MS can cause trigeminal neuralgia. So mm -hmm. anyway, I was just like, why has why has no one brought this up? And I'm going to talk to my doctor about it next week. It might go nowhere. It it might be a part of the piece of the picture for me. But um, there are like so many things out there that even for someone like me who's been fighting for a diagnosis for so long, just doctors don't even know about. They don't even think to bring up because there's so many specialties and you know medicine is so fragmented into different specialties. So it's but but like there was a period in my life where when i was diagnosed with fibromyalgia where i did give up on looking for a diagnosis because i was told over and over that there wasn't anything else to find you know yeah. doctors like telling me over and over like you, there is nothing medically wrong with you you just need to move on with your life so i'm like i guess i'm going to going to give that a shot and there's a part of that that is a relief and a release because you're no longer fighting 
against this system that is not built for you and like bashing your head against the wall and you can get get to living instead of get to fighting to figure out how to live and there's a piece of that can be that can be such a relief so for anyone who gives up on finding a diagnosis i totally get it like the, it's mm-hmm. not that that's a wrong choice in some cases that might be the right choice and you know for for me that worked for a few years but then i had i got worse so i had to go back to the drawing board and you know try again to find something and that's still where i'm at but that is exhausting you know <laughs> that and that's that's one of the things that i've really enjoyed tiktok for there's kind of like two facets to this one of them is that my therapist has told me that tiktok is a great way for socializing mm. without having to have the spoons to actually talk to someone totally <laughs> Yeah, which is really cool because you can like sit behind a computer and tap out a comment or a message to someone and you don't have to worry about actually, you know, being face to face with them. And you also don't have to worry about answering them once they've answered you until you have the energy to do so. Right. But the other side of that um, for me is also I have run across a lot of people who are like, here's my, you know, disorder, my diagnosis, whatever. And they talk about their symptoms and I'll go look it up and I'm like, hey. Some aspects of this kind of works because I haven't given up. Fibro is not like the cap for me. Like hmm. if I can find something else that like describes it a little bit better or goes hand in hand with what I've already got uh, dis- uh, diagnosed, um, then I'm more than happy to keep fighting against the system. My doctor's really awesome that if I do bring something to him, he'll go as far as he can go with it with me, send me to specialists if he needs to. Um, but I don't, like you said, I don't fault people who are like, Hey, I've got this diagnosis. I'm good to go now mm-hmm. because it is exhausting. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're already dealing with chronic pain that often goes hand in hand with uh, pain insomnia, which if the listeners don't know what that is, that's where you're in so much pain, you can't get comfortable and you can't sleep. Yeah. And you would think that when you're in pain, you want to sleep to escape the pain. And yes, you desperately want to sleep to get away from the pain, but sometimes you just can't like, um, I go through cycles where I sleep two to three hours a night and then I'll have one to two nights where I sleep six to seven hours a night. And then I go back to two to three hours a night yeah um which is fun <laughs> but i get a lot of crocheting done <laughs> yeah and uh hulu and netflix are my best friends you know middle of the night i'm up binge watching and stitching yeah um, so I, it is one of my coping mechanisms for sure absolutely that that distraction therapy thing is huge i i love that for myself as well <laughs> and pain somnia is great i love that i'm going to use that from now on i've never heard that but i knew exactly what you meant when you said it and i it's the worst i mean yeah, like because it's so frustrating because like all day long you're in so much pain and it's exhausting, and then mm-hmm. you lie down to finally go to sleep and you're wide awake because you're in so much pain. It's exactly infuriating. Um, and I, especially if you if you have a partner that you sleep with, then yeah. you're also concerned about keeping them awake because you're tossing and turning. And you know, a lot of the time when I was sleeping with someone on the regular basis, other than my dog, I'd get up and spend a lot of time on the couch uh, mm-hmm. or sitting. I had a recliner that i sat in also um because i didn't want to keep my partner awake thankfully now it's just me and my dog in my bed so she doesn't mind if i wiggle (laughs) yeah (laughs) or move around (laughs) i had horrible pain somnia for years and i eventually tried liquid melatonin instead of Mm -hmm. like just melatonin pills and for Mm -hmm. me it's like it still works i've been using it for years and years and years and it still works i can still sleep 
um, as long as I take liquid melatonin. And if I don't, I can't sleep. It just doesn't happen. I use happen. the gummies and it's 50-50, hit or yeah. miss. Sometimes the gummies work for me. Sometimes they don't. Um, so the pain medications, because I also take um, hydrocodone. That one usually will mm-hmm. knock me out if I can get an, in fast enough yeah. to where I'm like sleepy. But if I take it after I've hit my second wind, then I'm, then I'm up for the duration. <laughs> yeah. It's tough. You got to like, uh, you know, it's so hard when you, t- when you use a supplement or a medication to function, because if you, if you like miss your timing window on it, it doesn't work. You know, no. like I, I, like I was saying before, I just started amitriptyline and there was one night where I forgot to take it. So I had to take it first thing in the morning and I could barely function all day. Cause I was so exhausted cause it wipes you out. So mm-hmm. like, I really have to take it at night. Um, and you know, if you miss one, you got to spend a day or two getting your body back in, into the right cycle. So yep. it, it's really well, frustrating. It's, it's uh, what is it? Um, building up the amount that's in your body. There's a word for it, but the fibrous fog is strong today. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but you have to like build it up in your body. Um, I just started back on it, meds for ADHD too. And it does take, it takes about a week for you to have like the consistency of taking it every day. And if you do miss one, like you were saying, you end up having to build it back up again because you lost out on that one day of like not having it in your system. Yeah, totally. Your levels dip. <laughs> yeah. And when you got brain fog, how are you supposed to remember? <laughs> right, well, so I actually have alarms on my phone. Yeah. Um, and my daughter has alarms on her phone as well. So she can be like, hey, mom, have you taken your meds today? Um, so that if I forget when my alarm goes off, I think hers are set like half an hour after mine so that she can remind me because sometimes I'm in the middle of something or I just don't want to get up when my alarm goes off and then I forget. So that's where her being a caregiver comes in and she kind of slid into it naturally. She's 17. Um, she's still in high school. She's starting, she just started her senior year. She's going online this year. Um, Partially because it works better for her learning style, but also partially because of COVID because she's very concerned about germs. Um, Mm. So she is going from home, which is lovely. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But it it happened really gradually. I feel like Um, as she got older, she kind of started taking on some of the tasks, even when I was still with her father. Um, Now I can't imagine not having her around because she helps me get dressed. She helps me get undressed. She helps me shower. Uh, she helps me clean my room. She helps me, you know, wash the laundry so I can fold it. Mm. She wash my bedding <laughs> for me. She helps take care of the dogs. Like she's, she's there. She goes to all my doctor's appointments, takes notes because um, I forget as soon as we walk out of the office, sometimes before we even walk out of the office. And then that way she can remind me later, Hey mom, remember we talked about this or talked about that. Mm. Um, that, Long term, that warms my heart to hear that. That's just such a wonderful expression of love. Is yeah, is being there for I, someone like that. It's incredible. We just we just recently started really treating it like a a job, so that she didn't feel like I was taking advantage of her. Mm. Um, she gets two days off a week where she can go in. Like one of the days a week, she goes and hangs out with her boyfriend. Um, one of the other days a week will be like her doing her laundry or just hanging out and relaxing on her own, taking care of the, taking her dog to do stuff, whatever she wants to do. Um, but also um, she started referring to me as her client instead of her parent. 
<laughs> at least to other people. Um, we just got her some scrubs so that when we do go out to like doctor's appointments and stuff, um, people will have a tendency to maybe take her a little more seriously because she looks more the part. Wow. She, when she wears makeup, she looks like she's 25. So we don't <laughs> have to really worry about her looking young. And actually, even without makeup, she looks like she's older than her 19 year old brother. So, <laughs> wow. So you get her some scrubs and, so, and act like it's a job. And then she becomes your, your sort of like, in-home caretaker but then has it days has- off to be your daughter and you know you kind of have that separation in that relationship mm-hmm. that's a really interesting way to approach that because this is something andy and i talk about in therapy together is you know like how do we keep this separation between caretaking and her being my girlfriend you know like how do mm-hmm. we make sure that she doesn't feel like my nurse you know because that's like not not sexy (laughs) yeah well and she's she's been on my my records for about two or three years now um as being my caretaker but i recently decided that if if she was going to officially be on there in my records she also needed to officially have the benefits of having time off Mm. um being able to you know say hey mom let's you know can you be a mom for a minute like um her her boyfriend's family had to put down one of their dogs this last week and she's spent quite a bit of time over at their house and knows this dog really well. He was 20. So he had a nice long life, Mm. but unfortunately, you know, when you lose an animal, it's, it's part of your family. And she was kind of upset about it. And she came in and she's like, Oh, they're taking him to the vet. And then actually what had happened was that he passed away in the car on the way to the vet. Oh, wow. Um, so she came in to tell me and she started crying. Now she's 17. She doesn't cry a lot anymore. She doesn't need mommy anymore. But I was like, oh my gosh, this is a mom and daughter moment. This is not a patient client, like caretaker moment. It was very uh, bittersweet for me. No, sad because she was upset, but also kind of like heartwarming because I could comfort her for once. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> the other way around. Um, she's, she's amazing. I don't know what I would do without her. I wish that I could show her how much she means it means to me to have her be here and i've told her this too and she knows like as much as words can tell her she knows yeah but But unfortunately i am bitchy when i'm in pain (laughs) and i tend to take it out on her because she's the closest one and i know this and she knows this and we both take moments away when we need to to deal with our own anger and frustrations but um i do feel bad that she gets the brunt of it um so I try not to, that's another reason why I try to stay positive as much as possible is because I don't want to be that bitchy, cranky, patient person that, you know, is a pain in the ass to take care of. <laughs> yeah. And you're doing the thing that's so important, which is acknowledging it to the other person, because yeah. in the moment when it's happening, it can be so hard to have any control over a natural response. Right? But when you're out of the moment, you say, "I, you know, I'm so sorry that, that I was, was an overreaction. awful oh, to you. It had nothing to do with you. It's about my pain, and I'm very sorry." Like I do that. I try to do that as much as I can with Andy and recognizing the moments when I am being a jerk unintentionally because I'm. It's like sometimes if I'm in blinding pain, I I have no idea how I'm acting. You know, that's like mm-hmm. the last thing on my mind is to be worried about. Am I being polite? I don't know. You know, probably not. But just fucking give me my pain pills. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. But in the in the moments when I when I can process <laughs> and think back, I'm like, wow, I don't know how I was acting. I was probably rude. I'll apologize. You know, and say, hey, mm-hmm. if I was rude earlier, it really had nothing to do with you. I'm very sorry. It's yeah. really It's really important to be aware of those things because. Sometimes we we don't have the best control, you know. It's that's part of being 
human and having chronic pain. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think, um, you know, chronic pain, while it makes us stronger, it also makes us weaker in a sense. Like you said, when you're in blinding pain, you can't control what's coming out of your mouth because I mean, or at least how it's coming out because all you're thinking about is getting that relief and getting to a point where it's not blinding anymore so that you can actually function and you can see uh, what's happening around you and you can be like, okay, that relief sucked. How do I keep that from happening again? Which isn't always possible, but sometimes, unfortunately, that's, that's where you go to. And like you said, you never know, are you being polite or are you just getting the words out as quickly as you can? Cause they have to come out and you can't think about how they're coming out. Right. Yeah, totally. Well, I want to hear a little bit about your, your Crohn's disease. That's the, uh-huh. the last of the trifecta. We haven't really touched on it too much. So when, when were you diagnosed with Crohn's? Um, it was after my second back surgery. So the first one I had removed part of one of my vertebrae. The second one I had, uh, did a spinal fusion, which fused together three of my vertebrae and my lower lumbar spine. Um, right after that, I started having some really bad intestinal issues. Um, I've always had IBS and I knew that. So there's foods that I don't eat. Um, also with fibro, you don't eat, uh, nightshade foods, which are tomatoes, potatoes, and eggplant. Um, so I started having more issues than just the issues I was used to. And I went back to my doctor and I was like, there's something wrong. Um, he sent me to a gastroenterologist, um, and I had a colonoscopy, which are the most horrendous tests. It's the worst test. Oh, it's the worst. If I ever have to have another one in my life, it will be far too soon. I'm dreading (laughs) it. I'm dreading it already. It's, I've um, had some rough tests. That one was really awful. Um, I had an upper GI test done. I had a swallow study done. Um, I had a biopsy of my stomach lining done. That was really fun. Um, they basically go down your esophagus and clip out pieces of your stomach lining with a little robot thing. Oh my God. Yeah. Not pleasant. <laughs> Come to find out that I had a severe, uh, acid reflux. Um, I also had GERD, which is like gastrointestinal or gastroesophageal reflux disease yeah, or something. Re- reflux. Yeah. Yeah. It's this huge word that I always forget. Uh, but they also found that I had Crohn's-like symptoms without the polyps. And I was like, what the heck does that mean? They're like, <laughs> well, you technically have Crohn's, but you don't have the uh, intestinal changes. <laughs> huh. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> and there's like a part of your intestine, so they can only go so far when they go up for the colonoscopy and down for the upper um, GI study. Um, they can't see parts of your intestine because it's miles and miles long. So I could have the damage further into my intestine than they could see it, but where they tested, they couldn't see it. Right, right, right. Um, gotcha. It does mean that there are days where I don't stray very far from a restroom because I'm going to be in it every half an hour to an hour. Um, pretty much everywhere I go on the regular, I know where the restrooms are and I know the fastest routes to get to them in my wheelchair. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of intestinal pain. Um, that time of the month is especially painful because it's, it's when your uterus is swelling too. So that puts pressure on your intestines. And if your intestines are already messed up, then 
<laughs> you get more pain. Um, so I also have to be really careful about the foods I eat beyond the other ones that I already mentioned, the nightshades and stuff. I can't eat a lot of salad. Um, I can't eat a lot of corn. Um, I need to be really careful about eating easily digestible foods, but still complex proteins. So that's a fun balance. Um, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it's just so much work. Just, yes. Just existing is so much work. You have to be on top of your medications, on top of your food, on top of your sleep. Cause if you, I'm sure if you don't get enough sleep, you know, like, I mean, everything you, gets worse. Everything gets worse. Absolutely. And uh, you have to be present with your loved ones and you have to, mm -hmm. you know, accept support when you need it, but also advocate for doing things for yourself. Like you got to fold that laundry. It's yep. just <laughs> so much work. You're full. Like you said, you're full time disabled. Um, what, what do you do when you get overwhelmed? Um, my, one of my favorite things to do is um, either go to the beach or the forest. Mm. I'm actually next week going to run away for a couple days. Uh, just me and my dog. We're going to sleep in my car. Um, I'm going to eat freeze dried food because that's a safe bet that they, I can get the right foods in the right uh, amounts. Um, and I'm just going to sit in the trees and journal and read a book. Mm. Um, and I'll stay up there. I've have it scheduled for four days. I may not stay the whole time, just depending on how, uh, bad, like how good of a weekend I'm having. Um, Molly will act as a nice little space heater. I have a, I have a <laughs> sleeping bag that she fits into as well as with me. So I won't be cold. Um, and we're just going to chill up in Capitol forest, hang out, kind of relax, listen to the water. Um, Normally, I would take my daughter with me, but since she's in school right now, I'm going to let her stay with her dad for a couple days. Um, also, this gives her some time away from me and me some time away from her so that we can come back rejuvenated and ready to work together as a team again. Yeah. So we're not quite so cranky with each other. Um, <laughs> but we do go to the ocean together quite, quite as, as often as we can. Um, it's about an hour and a half drive from where we live. Um, so. We can take day trips out there. My my sweet pup loves sitting on the beach. She's not a huge fan of the water. She'll go in with me, but she's kind of like, Mom, what the hell? Now I'm cold and wet. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the new puppy is learning to, to enjoy it. She's not a huge fan of sand in her eyes or water in her ears, but she's getting there. <laughs> um, so those are my like go-tos. And if I can't get away quite that far... Uh, I usually do, if I'm really overwhelmed, I'll pull out my crochet project. And I know I keep going back to that, but that really is my biggest coping skill is to be able to work on something um, productive. And it makes me like I can give love back to the people around me who give so much to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, those those things are so important, like, you know, getting out in nature um, I was just talking to Laura about this in our episode on social anxiety. It re it helps to regulate your nervous system. It helps to keep mm -hmm. your nervous system calmer, and that can really help with pain. And and in the absence of clear answers and um, actionable medications or anything, you know, you can't cure this thing. You can only uh, manage it. Managing mm -hmm. your nervous system and making sure that you're infusing joy into your daily rituals and taking this time to go out into the woods with your dog. Um, doing those things for yourself becomes extremely important. And it sounds like you've built a really great 
um, ritual around these things, which is really awesome. And I don't always remember to do them. Um, it was actually my therapist who reminded me and she's been bugging me for about six months to get away on my own. Um, but she's, you know, uh, I don't always remember to go and take the breaks when I need to. Um, my daughter and I did go to the, to the ocean for a day, day trip in June this last year. Um, and that was lovely. It was so relaxing. We, you know, just hung out in the sun Actually, it wasn't even that sunny. It was kind of cloudy, which is lovely also because it, it gives us a little bit of cooler and coolness because um, neither one of us handles heat very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we when I hang out with uh, or when I talk to my therapist and she was like, oh, you really need to, to get out because I also have um, anxiety <laughs> um, along with depression. So those two things also cause chronic pain, but not as like I never know if. I'm in pain because of depression or in pain because of fibro. So I can't yeah. tell the difference. Um, but she's like, yeah, you need to go reconnect. Um, so I'll take an empty notebook, <laughs> probably come back with it filled. Uh, and I just talked to my kid about my son's really into reading. So I'm going to borrow some of his books um, and take them out there with me. And I'm just going to, like I said, hang out in my car with my dog and do some reading, do some relaxing, give her some like, time she loves to hang out in the forest that's where she came from um, we're actually going to probably go up to where i found her originally and let her kind of run around and dig uh she's smaller she's a spaniel palm mix we think so she hunts small animals by in, um, instinct so she'll get to run around after little animals which will be fun for her awesome well, yeah. I have one more question for you uh, before okay. we wrap up today. So you're in this unique situation where you, I mean, you have these, we've talked about three major pains, but I mean, anxiety, mm-hmm. depression, absolutely major pains. Um, you've mentioned a couple other things. So you, you have like all of these different layers going on mm-hmm. and your body is so unique. And, you know, it's not like there's that many people out there with ankylosing spondylitis, fibromyalgia, uh, you know, Crohn's disease, the exact things that you're going through. Um, So you're on this unique journey and you've learned so much along the way. If you could send a message back in time to yourself before your diagnosis with AS, um, if you could give yourself a piece of wisdom that you've hard fought, earned over the years, what would it be? Hmm. I probably just remember to be gentle with yourself emotionally and physically. Cause I'm real good at taking breaks physically when I need to. Um, and to remember to be gentle with the people around me too, and know that they're fighting just as hard next to me as they can. Um, sometimes I think I get frustrated too quickly because, you know, stupid pain drives me crazy. Hmm. So, I think, yeah, I think if I were to send a message to my previous self, I would say be as gentle as you can emotionally as well as physically. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And that's. And start therapy sooner, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Because, I mean, therapy saved my life in more ways than one. Um, And I wish I had started it, you know, when I was in my teens. but 
I definitely think that that's important for people who are dealing with chronic pain is to have a therapist that they see as regularly as possible, you know, so you have someone else who is trained to listen, to talk to. Absolutely. So important. And if you try therapy and it doesn't work, try someone else. There's no reason to keep seeing someone that isn't working for you. And it's usually takes like several tries before Mm -hmm. you hit on someone that really can help you. And, you know, it's always good to ask the, ask your provider if they have someone on staff who is familiar with chronic pain and who works with chronic pain individuals, because it's a unique experience that requires, you know, unique help and help is out there. It's just really hard to find. And it is trial and error. And Mm. don't be discouraged if the first, second, third, fourth therapist you try doesn't work because, you know, sometimes just like uh, friends, you have to really work to find the right fit. Yeah, totally. Well, is there anything you'd like to plug? Would you like to share your TikTok with our audience? And I'll definitely tag you on TikTok when I post a clip of your episode. Um, so actually, I'd love to plug my Facebook page for my crocheting. Yeah. You go onto Facebook and you search crotchety artists. So it's C-R-O-C-H-E-T-E-Y, I think, and then artist. Um, if you were to go on there, you can see some of the stuff that I make. I do uh, make things to order as well as uh, have some pre... I don't have a whole lot of pre-made stock at the moment, but I can make things uh, that you see on the page, specifically how they are shown on the page. Um, I can make most things. I do write my own patterns. So I, do, I can sell you a pattern if you're a crochet artist yourself. Um, I'm always looking for pattern testers too. So if you're interested, hit me up. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, I think that's it. Yeah, I, I mostly just hang out with my dogs and my kids. So <laughs> yeah. I and, have a lot to plug. <laughs> and what's your, uh, what's your TikTok page? Uh, it's uh, Wheelchair Queer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, Elias, this has been wonderful. I, I've loved talking to you. Um, you're just going, you're, you're managing so many different things and it's such a, it's such a load that you're holding up and it's, you know, it's so frustrating for me because people often treat people like us as burdens or as, you know, something to be fixed or whatever, but you're over here like with this incredible balancing act, which is so impressive. And I'm, you know, it's just been wonderful hearing a bit about how you manage that. And I really, really appreciate your time today. Well, thank you so much for having me uh, come visit uh, virtually. <laughs> yes. And you were a real trooper because we had some uh, connectivity issues and had to start, start and stop a lot, which no one listening to the podcast will hear. And you were just really gracious with dealing with all that. So I'm I really trouble. appreciate it. Elias, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com.
Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, and Brooke Walters Schmidt, and our $25 per month producers Steve Cavanaugh and Chris Fowler. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition and gifts at patreon.com slash Major Pain Podcast.